0: Take you back just over a year ago to a tragic event. April 16, 2014, there was a great tragedy in South Korea. The Seoul Ferry was transporting over 300 high school students on a field trip to Jeju Island, and there were 476 people on board the ship. And after making a severe turn, the boat capsized, turning on its side, and the movement trapped. Most of the passengers below deck, they weren't able to escape, couldn't be rescued, and over 300 people died that day. It was a horrific and tragic accident, but it could have been avoided. Listen to some of the factors that make it so much worse. The ship was overloaded with cargo. In fact, cargo was not packed away properly on the ship. Why did this happen? Well, because the company who owned the ship made a lot of extra money as they put on extra pounds of cargo. An inexperienced crew member was steering the ship at the time of the accident. He turned too sharply. After the boat began to capsize, the crew also delayed in making a distress call. Actually, the distress call that first came in to... Uh, to the authorities and people could help, was from one of the boys, one of the high school boys on the ship who called on his cell phone. Then the captain ordered the crew to tell all the passengers to remain where they were on the ship to stay below ground or below below the deck. And um, then they delayed their rescue plan or evacuation plan as well. And the boat, as it sank... By the time they realized what was going on and how grave the situation was, it was too late. So my question is, what was the captain doing during all of these failures? Where was Lee Jean Zook? Well, I don't know. But what we do know is that the captain was one of the first to be rescued that day. Of the 29 crew members, 20 were rescued and survived. That's 70% of the crew, while many of the 300 students on board died that day. Women and children died that day, and the captain walked away and then went to jail. So what's wrong with this? I mean, whatever happened to the captain goes down with the ship, or what happened to women and children first? I mean, this makes me angry as I read through the account, as I think about what happened, because it's not the way it's supposed to be, and we feel that in our gut, don't we? And so I started wondering, I mean, what happens when uh, you know, most of these events happen on sea? I can remember back to the Titanic. We've seen the movie. We've read the story. Edward J. Smith, the captain of the Titanic, he went down with the ship. He lost his life. In fact, the crew got many of the wi- women and children to safety in that event, in that horrible event. Only 17% of the men survived that day. 75% of the women survived. And over 50% of the children on board survived the Titanic, while only 24% of the crew lived. The captain's supposed to lose his life to save as many people as possible, right? Somehow we, we just know that that's true. But what's the reality? I read an article last week. Uh, It was by some Swedish economists. They did a study on 18 shipwrecks over the last 150 years, 18 of these disasters, to see what really happened as you look at the numbers. And they found that most of the time, men survived at a much higher rate than the women and children. Their data showed that 37% of the men in these shipwrecks over 150 years lived, while only 27% of the women and only 15% of the kids. That's less than one in five kids survived. Now listen to this. 60% of the crew, looking at these statistics, 60% of the crew and 44% of the captains walked away from these shipwrecks. And they summed up their findings with this. Human behavior in life and death situations is best captured by the expression, every man for himself. Well, that's not right. But I think we all know that to be true in our world, if we've lived in this world long enough, when the pressure hits, every man for himself seems to be the rule of the day. So as we feel this in our gut, we, we, I think we all uh, know and would say that this isn't right. The question has to be asked, what about us? What happens to us when the pressure's on? Are we willing to sacrifice for the good of others or do we put ourselves first? Well, here's some questions as we get started. Um, you know, maybe just think of your own life when you're at work, you're, you're busy, you're, you're focused, you're trying to get your, your job or your task done, and someone is clearly hurting, somebody's struggling, will you stop and listen? Will you pay attention? Or when you get home and it's, it's, it's been a long day, maybe it's been a long week, you're tired, but there are chores to do. Are you willing to take the lead and help out? When you're in your neighborhood and you notice that somebody has a need, they could use some help. Are you willing to stop what you're doing to offer to help them out? Or when we're driving and we pass somebody on the side of the road that needs some help, are we willing to stop or do we just keep on going? Or when we can help somebody financially, even though it might help, it might hurt us we might have to sacrifice personally are we willing to help them anyway you see as we look at the gospel this morning Jesus tells us as if we're going to be a people of faith then we are the ones who must act when things aren't right so how do we respond when there's an opportunity to put others first well, throughout the scriptures, God shows us, demonstrates the importance of this. That God, you know, we, if we wonder what is God like, God is like this. He has a concern for the least. He has a concern for people who are in need. He shows throughout the Old Testament and then into the Gospels in the New Testament that it matters that we put other people first. Jesus demonstrated this. And he taught on this subject over and over again. He taught that we often have to give something up if we want to go up. Let me explain that. If we give up, God promises to lift us up, but we often have to sacrifice something for that to happen. So one time, Jesus is, um, you know, he's he's out and about, he's with the disciples, and he's overdoing something else. And the disciples... They're having an argument. Now, um, they weren't too concerned about giving stuff up, at least on this day, if at all. They just wanted to go up. They weren't, uh, and so here it is, they're having an argument about who's the greatest among us. Now imagine this. They're having a, a, you know, I don't know what it was like, but they're going back and forth about who was going to be the biggest deal when it was all said and done. Who's going to be closest to Jesus? Who's going to be the guy? Now, think about this. This is just kind of hilarious to think that adult people could be having an argument about this. Could you imagine that happening in our day? I mean, how cowboy fans, cowboy fans, are you feeling it? Do you get this? I mean, I wonder what's going to break out on the sideline today with the cowboys. Anyway, Jesus comes up to the disciples It's obvious they've been arguing. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And he says, hey, what are you arguing about? I mean, he might even put in, hey, knuckleheads, what are you arguing about? And they said, nothing. It's cool, Jesus. We're good. We don't want him to know what we're arguing about right now. Now, it kind of sounds like my house. Sometimes I'll ask that question, what are you guys arguing about? Nothing. It's cool, Dad. Or sometimes the opposite. It's like they want me to take a side. We've been around arguments, but listen to what Jesus said. So he comes up. They're having an argument about who's the greatest, and Jesus says this. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very least, the very last, and the servant of all. Now, that's contrary to the every man for himself idea, isn't it? Jesus is calling his followers to a life where they give up. They set something aside. They set themselves aside so that they can be lifted up as they do good for others. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must put other people first. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, Jesus showed this, he demonstrated it in many different ways. One of the ways he did this later on was he washed his disciples' feet. In the last hours of his life, there they come in. This was a servant's job. In fact, Peter's like, no, no, you cannot wash my feet. He wouldn't let him. But Jesus said, no, I have to wash your feet to show you what it's like to follow me. Now, think about it. I mean, I don't even like to touch my kids' dirty feet, (laughs) smelly feet. But Jesus washed each of the disciples' feet and told them, if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna understand the gospel, the good news of how to have a relationship with God, you're gonna begin to serve like I do. And here's the spiritual reality. It's this. If you truly love you'll be willing to give things up and lower yourself for the benefit of others. That's why Jesus, he shared the greatest commandment. You know, people were interested in what Jesus had to say about what it meant to have a relationship with God and what the, that life should look like. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love Your neighbor as yourself. Love shows us how to be the servant of all. I mean, that's why Jesus came into our world and lived a sacrificial life, showing us what God's love is like. I mean, Jesus was the greatest captain of all. He came in, he put his glory and power aside as the Son of God, and he humbled himself. And he became one of us, not so that we could serve him, but so that he could serve and become the greatest servant of all. And he gave up his life to save as many people as possible. I mean, this is the gospel. It's the good news. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't earn our relationship with God. We can't just go and earn his favor by, his, by our good life? No. We look to Jesus who offered a sacrifice for us and he shows us the way of grace, the way of love, so that we can not only be filled with God's grace, we can be you know, given this incredible relationship that only God can give, but so that we can be filled with it and then offer it to others. I mean, Jesus made it possible for you and for me to have a right relationship with God. And we receive this life by the goodness and the grace of God. But as we receive it, as we put our trust in Jesus, then we're called to be the ones who share it. That's why Jesus said, you have to be willing to be the last to be the least, so that you can show what it's like, what God is like, so we can sacrifice our good for the good of others. All right, here's what Jesus went on to say. This is out of Luke chapter nine. He says this. So he's talking about grace. Hey, I came for you. I'm showing you God's love. I'm showing you God's purpose in this world. I want you to come. I want you to be a part of it. But he said your life has to change if you're going to receive it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose and forfeit or forfeit your very self? I mean, these are hard words, but they're clear. Jesus wasn't wishy-washy about it. He said, hey, this is what it looks like. If you're going to come with me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to receive my grace, you're going to buy into it fully. He says self-focus, if your life is filled with self-focus, then the result is eternal loss. But if you're willing to give up, if you're willing to give up yourself and your life to put others first, then you'll be lifted up. Now, what's shocking about this image that Jesus uses is he's talking about the cross. Now, we're familiar with crosses. We wear them as necklaces and all kinds of uh, you know, different accessories. We see crosses, churches, all kind of stuff. It's, it's a nice religious symbol, but a cross is the symbol of death. And as Jesus used it in their culture, I mean, it was like the cross. Everybody, I mean, nobody wanted to talk about that. Nobody wanted to go near a cross because it was execution. It was for criminals and undesirables. It's something that you wanted to avoid at all cost. It was the symbol of death in their culture. And if you went against the authorities, you were going to get the cross. They were used for executing criminals bad people. But Jesus took on the cross to pay the price for all human sin. He willingly did that. And now we have to ask the question, at what point along the way, I mean, Jesus came into our world, grew up as a boy. His ministry really didn't begin until he was about 30 years old. We wonder, at what point did he know that he was going to have to go to the cross and die? Because he talked about it over and over again. He was telling the disciples, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they didn't know what he was talking about. They thought he'd lost his mind. At what point did Jesus decide, I'm going to do this? Well, I don't know. He's the son of God. But what I do know is that he made his decision that he was going to the cross way, way before it was about to happen. He'd already committed to laying down his life for the good of others. That's what Jesus was about. And that's what he was calling the disciples to be about, to be willing to lay down their lives for the good of others. You know, it's interesting that with the disciples, all, um, but uh, let's see, two of them, you know, John, one of the disciples, he died in he died in exile. So he was not killed for his faith; he just died of old age. But he was in exile. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he committed suicide right away. But all the rest of the disciples ultimately were crucified or executed for their faith. They literally had to give up their life for their allegiance with Jesus. I mean, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus, upside down. And then James, he was turned in by an accuser. And so James was about to be uh, executed. And this is so interesting. This is written about in church history, but his accuser, as he watched James, you know, preparing to die for his faith, He was so moved by James' courage, his faith, his presence as he was going to the executioner that he believed. So James' accuser believed, he put his faith in Christ and he asked if he could be executed with James. That's crazy. But that's what Jesus was talking about in terms of us be willing to set ourselves aside for God's good and for the good of others. Um, Did the disciples learn how to basically uh, put themselves aside right away? I mean, was that something that just happened overnight? They just captured it when Jesus explained it to them? No. They struggled with it. We, We know from the gospel narrative that Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, I don't know the man when he was taken by, taken captive by Rome and getting ready to be executed. Peter walked away from him. All the disciples fled. They didn't want to be associated with him. But after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it clicked. And all of them began to live in a new way where they started to understand, I've got to give myself up. I've got to lay myself down so that God can lift me up and so I can benefit other people. Um, We we all go through this process as we consider faith. Um, If you've made a faith commitment to follow Christ, you have to go through this process. And I think back to, you know, I was 22 when I made a faith commitment. Right after college, I was getting my first job and, And you know, I was like, I have no idea where I'm going in my life. I just, I don't know what my purpose is. I got this job, I'm excited about that. But I was like, I don't know where I'm going in life. And that's when I really started to sort through, okay, who's Jesus? What's church really about? And so I made a faith commitment. I believed that he had died for my sins and that he had called me to a life of purpose. Now this whole laying myself down, I didn't know about that and didn't get that. It took probably a couple years where I was, you know, hanging out with my friends, you know, still going out, staying out too late, trying to figure out what, what you know, work life was like as a, as a young guy. And I came to a point uh, about two years later, after I'd made a commitment to follow Christ, and I was, I mean, I really wanted to follow Jesus. It was about two years later where I, it hit me. These words that I, if I'm going to truly follow, I've got to be willing to lose my life and allow myself to put other people before me. If I really wanted to grow in my relationship with God, I had to give some stuff up. I had to give up so that God could lift me up. And we all have to go through that process. I was talking with a guy's group this past week. We were talking about this, this question. Um, what does it mean first to lose your life? And what is that like? Is it is it an easy or a difficult thing to lose your life? And the guys, you know, as we, we talked about it, everybody shared their experience. And it's, it's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process where as you and I get closer to Jesus, we begin to see more clearly what's most important and what it means for us to begin to lay some things down because that's what we got to do. We got to let go of some stuff, right? Relationships, success, partying, loneliness, hurt. I mean, there's all these kinds of things that we have to start letting go of. And the cool thing is what Jesus says. I mean, even though we're identifying with the cross as we follow him, he says that I want you to pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's not just once. It's every day we have a new opportunity to pick up the cross of Jesus and to walk with him. So that just means it's simple stuff in our lives that we begin to let go of. If we mess up one day, the next, we have a new opportunity to pick up our cross and to start walking with Jesus. It's a daily thing as we give up. God gives us the opportunity to be lifted up. So let's think of some simple ways. I mean, even if you're... um, not a follower of Christ, you're not sure about faith, um, this is something you could test out. I mean, because, uh, I mean, the, whole, the world's a whole lot better place when you and I decide that, okay, I'm not gonna put myself first, right? I'm gonna put other people ahead of myself. But imagine this. So this week, um, you get into an argument at work or at home with your spouse. And you're sure you're right? But you decide that you're going to stop. You're going to concede. And in fact, you're going to look for an opportunity to do something nice for that person. That's laying ourselves down. Um, Instead of relaxing or working on a project at home, you decide to go help a friend. Or maybe your spouse with something they need help with. Right? Um, just don't say this. Don't say, honey, uh, John needs me to come over and watch the game with him and drink some beer with him because he's having a bad week. So I can't help you with this. How can you lay yourself down to be a blessing to somebody else? Maybe, you, maybe you've got a, a really busy work schedule. But maybe you can take a lunch or a half day just to spend time with one of your kids. And not, you know, driving around and doing the typical drop-off stuff or, you know, just where you're just like, ah. Where you take some time and you talk and you ask them, how are they doing? You see, there are lots of ways that we can sacrifice, that we can give up so that God ultimately can lift us up and show us more of the life of Jesus. I want to close with this story. Um, there was a, uh, a, a president of a college and seminary, Columbia Bible College and Seminary in South Carolina. His name was Robertson uh, McKilkin. And he, um, he, was, you know, he was president of that school from like 1968 to 1990. Well known. Um, he'd influenced thousands of students, uh, missionaries. I mean, he had a great impact through his work and ministry as the president of the college. And in the late 80s, his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And at at first, it wasn't so bad, but it began to progress um, pretty quickly. And so he was wrestling with, I mean, my wife needs me, and yet I have this important job at the college. And so he was able to get a, a home care person to be with her during the day. You know, he, he would stop in at lunch. I mean, he was very concerned uh, about her, loved her. Um, and yet um, she was getting progressively worse. In fact, she would walk because she, she wanted to be with her husband. She felt, you know, the most comfort when she was close to him. She would walk to the school multiple times a day. It was a half mile there and a half mile back. Um, and some days he would come home and he would find that her feet were bloody because she was, just wanted to be close to him. And he came to a point where, as he was wrestling with, what do I do? Um, he, uh, he said, I, you know, I can't put her in a nursing home. I just, I can't do that. So I'm gonna have to step down as president of the college, and I'm going to devote all of my time to caring for my wife, Muriel. And what's interesting is this guy who he'd been president for over 20 years. He'd impacted a lot of people through his teaching and leadership. It was this decision that probably had the greatest impact of all. And he cared for her until the day that she died. She couldn't talk in sentences anymore. She just had words. She didn't know who most people were, but he cared for her until the day that she died. Here's what he wrote or, or said in his speech as he resigned from the college. He said this, I haven't in my life experienced, e- I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making in major decisions. It's been tough to make big decisions. But one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictate it. Muriel now is in the last couple of months, or in the last couple of months, seems almost happy when I'm with her and almost never happy when I'm not there. In fact, she seems, uh, she seems to be trapped, fearful, um, almost in terror when I'm not around. And so I know what I need to do. Um, And it's not just because I promised many years ago in sickness and in health till death do us us part. I'm going to keep my word with that. But he said, it's not something that I have to do. He said, it's something that I get to do, to love my wife and to serve her well. You see, we all have that opportunity. We have that opportunity today as we make a decision to put others before ourselves, as we make a decision to lose our lives for the good of others, God promises he'll lift us up and he'll do eternal things that you and I could never do on our own. Please pray with me.